When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Item number SCP-106 Object Class Keter Special Containment Procedures No physical interaction with SCP-106 is allowed at any time. All physical interaction must be approved by no less than two-thirds vote from 05 Command. Any such interaction must be undertaken in AR-2 maximum security sites. After general, non-essential staff evacuation. All staff, research, security, class D, etc. are to remain at least 60 meters away from the containment cell at all times, except in the event of breach events. SCP-106 is to be contained in a sealed container comprised of lead-lined steel. The container will be sealed within 40 layers of identical material, each layer separated by no less than 36 centimeters of empty space. Support struts between layers are to be randomly spaced. Container is to remain suspended in no less than 60 centimeters from any surface by ELO-2D electromagnetic supports. Secondary containment area is to be comprised of 16 spherical cells, each filled with various fluids and random assembly of surfaces and supports. Secondary containment is to be fitted with light systems capable of flooding the entire assembly with no less than 80,000 lumens of light instantly, with no direct human involvement. Both containment areas are to remain under 24-hour surveillance. Any corrosion observed on any containment cell surfaces, staff members, or other site locations within 200 meters of SCP-106 are to be reported to site security immediately. Any objects or personal lost to SCP-106 are to be deemed missing or killed in action. No recovery attempts are to be made under any circumstances. It should be noted here that continued research and observation have shown that when faced with highly complex random assemblies of structures, the SCP can be confused, showing a marked delay on entry and exit from said structure. SCP-106 has also shown an aversion to direct sudden light. This is not manifested in any form of physical damage, but a rapid exit into the pocket dimension generated on solid surfaces. These observations, along with those lead aversion and liquid confusion, 
have reduced the general escape incidence by 43%. The primary cells have also been effective in recovery incidents requiring recall protocol. Observation is ongoing. Description SCP-106 appears to be an elderly humanoid with a general appearance of advanced decomposition. This appearance may vary, but the rotting quality is observed in all forms. SCP-106 is not exceptionally agile and will remain motionless for days at a time, waiting for prey. The SCP is also capable of scaling any vertical surface and can remain suspended upside down indefinitely. When attacking, SCP-106 will attempt to incapacitate prey by damaging major organs, muscle groups, or tendons. Then pull disabled prey into its pocket dimension. SCP-106 appears to prefer human prey items in the 10 to 25 years of age bracket. SCP-106 causes a corrosion effect in all solid matter it touches, engaging a physical breakdown in materials several seconds after contact. This is observed as rusting, rotting, and cracking materials, and the creation of a black mucus-like substance similar to the material coating SCP-106. This effect is particularly detrimental to living tissues and is assumed to be a pre-digestion action. Corrosion continues for six hours after contact, after which the effect appears to burn out. SCP-106 is capable of passing through solid matter, leaving behind a large patch of its corrosive mucus. The SCP is able to vanish inside solid matter, entering what is assumed to be a form of a pocket dimension. SCP-106 is then able to exit this dimension from any point connected to the initial entry point. Examples Entering the inner wall of a room and exiting the outer wall. Entering a wall and exiting from a ceiling. It is unknown if this is the point of origin for the SCP or a simple layer created by SCP-106. Limited observation of this pocket dimension has shown it to be comprised mostly of halls and rooms with data expunged entry. This activity continues for days with some subjected individuals being released for the express purpose of hunting and recapture. Addendum Due to the exceedingly difficult to contain nature of SCP-106, SCP is to be reviewed every three months or during a post-breach incident. Physical restraints are impossible, and direct physical damage appears to have no effect on SCP-106. Current SCP revolves around basic observation and immediate response. Previous, more proactive special containment procedures 
have been recalled due to the events of breaches. Notes on Behavior SCP-106 appears to go through long periods of dormancy, in which it will remain completely motionless for up to three months. The cause for this is unknown. However, it has been shown that this appears to be used as a lulling tactic. SCP-106 will emerge from this state, in a very agitated state, and will attack and abduct staff and cause gross damage to its containment cell and the site at large. SCP-106 appears to hunt and attack based on desire, not hunger. SCP-106 will attack and collect multiple prey items during a hunting behavior event keeping many alive in the pocket dimension for extended periods of time. SCP-106 has no determinable limit and appears to collect a random number of prey items during an event. The inner dimension accessed by SCP-106 appears to be only accessible by the SCP-106. Recordings and transmission devices have been shown to still operate inside this dimension, though recordings and transmissions are very degraded. It appears that the SCP will play with its captured prey, and appears to have full control of time, space, and perception inside this dimension. Recall Protocol in the event of a breach event by SCP-106, a human within the 10 to 25 years of age bracket will be prepped for recall, with a compromised containment cell being replaced and restored for use. When the cell is ready, the lower subject will be injured, preferably via the breakage of a long bone, such as the femur, or the severing of a major tendon such as the Achilles tendon. Lure's subject will then be placed in the prep cell, and the sound emitted by said subject will be transmitted over the site public address system. SCP-106 will typically begin to gravitate towards the lure subject within 10 to 15 minutes after hearing the subject. Should SCP-106 not respond to the initial broadcast, Additional physical trauma is to be administered to the lure subject at 25-minute intervals until SCP-106 responds. Multiple lure subjects may be used in the case of major breach events. SCP-106 will typically enter a dormant state after finishing with the lure subject. The Tale Nobody could like Corporal Lawrence. That's not to say that nobody tried, or that he was somehow unfriendly. Merely that he was one of the few that seemed to be wired differently. However, in the trenches of World War I, normalcy was at best a relative term, and one that had minimal relation of life such as it was. Lawrence fought, listened to orders, and didn't disrupt the other soldiers, 
And that was all that was required. So what if people felt increasingly uncomfortable around him? In a place where their flesh rotting off your bones while you were still alive was the baseline of concern, a little personality conflict ranked several layers below a paper cut. Lawrence, for his part, dealt with it as he always had. That is to say, remained totally unaware of the avoidance. The same way a blind man from birth cannot mourn the memory of color, Corporal Lawrence couldn't bemoan a lack of company. He was quiet, as he had nobody to talk to, and still, as he had nothing to do for long stretches of time. The enemy trench, less than a mile away, had gone silent for several days, letting boredom and nervousness sink in even more than normal, coupled with the unease that seemed to radiate off Lawrence, like heat waves. The worst part was that there was no distinct reason to dislike the corporal. He was a plain man, average height, average build, bland of voice and action. Nobody could recall him raising his voice in joy or anger. He did have the occasional odd mannerisms, however. He tended to stare a beat or two longer than was acceptable at people. He rarely slept as well, and bunkmates said he would mumble in his sleep almost constantly. The content of those nocturnal ramblings when they could be understood, were often odd and potentially unsettling. One private moved to another barracks when he heard the name of his daughter pass Corporal Lawrence's lips, followed by a bubbling, muffled giggle. It was strongly theorized that he was sent over the trench by his commanders more out of the desire to have him away than for his minimal combat skill. He and fourteen of his fellows were sent across the nightmarishly scarred waste of the no-man's land between the trenches to reconnoiter the enemy trench and secure it if possible. Many seemed to hope that Lawrence would have the opportunity to prove his devotion to his country by making the ultimate sacrifice for it. It was a while he was gone, that three-day gap as the men held their breath, waiting for a surprise volley of shells that someone started asking questions. Whereas before, it was almost taboo to speak of Corporal Lawrence since the departure of both him and his aura, rumor seemed to descend with the passion of the denied. Nobody remembered him ever talking of home. No sweet-smelling letters came, no soggy, dirt-streaked letters left. He mentioned his dreams often, and griped sometimes with the men over missed foods or pleasures, but never with any real passion. Questions started to flow among even the higher levels of the command. Nobody was able to actually find his station orders. He'd come in with a squad of reinforcements transferred from France, but there was no paperwork. 
The rest of the reinforcement squad had never seen the man before he'd been lumped in with them the night before the trip. Along with the snips and scraps of the other squads decimated by the Germans. Whispers filtered among the grunts of the corporal being a curse. And nearly every man who'd shared a bunkhouse with him had gotten trench foot. And the rooms he haunted always seemed to smell more musty and sickly sweet, even for a trench. The men sent over to no man's land with Corporal Lawrence heard and cared for none of this. Just another man among many, all with death certificates awaiting the stamp that could fall at any moment. They moved fast and low, from crater to crater, slipping over slick mud and barbed wire, the only thing that seemed to grow in that blasted waste. Charging the last spurt and into the trench, they were greeted not with the harsh bark of German orders and rifles, but a dense, close silence. Preparing for ambush, the men started to filter out of the tunnels and halls of the trench. The men, already nervous, were not calmed by their investigation. The trenches stank of mold, sweat, and a thin undertaste of rotten fruit. A vile, clawing slime seemed to have pulled in every divot and crack, sticky as glue and itchy on the flesh. In a world where rats and insects would try to snatch food from your mouth even as you ate, they saw nothing alive, not so much as a fly. An armory lay in chaos, munitions spilled on the ground, rifles tossed like pickup sticks. The mess hall had been reduced to ruins, the tables and chairs piled in the center of the room, charred and twisted, and the rations seemingly stamped into the dirt by many feet. And still, nothing, alive or dead, was found by the increasingly anxious soldiers. Private Dixon found the first body and managed to cry out before vomiting. They knew it had been a man, only because nothing else that size could have been there. It lay on the floor of the barracks, the entire floor. The flesh of it had been smeared somehow, spread like butter over the rough dirt floor, bones already looking pitted and rotten stuck out at random angles, like dead trees in a still swamp. The skull rested on one of the highest bunks, facing the doorway. Ten gleaming white fingertip bones crammed into the cracked eye sockets. As one man went to examine it, he found the back of the skull had been crushed open, the rotting, sagging sponge of a tongue stuffed into the otherwise dry cavity. More remains were found, each seemingly more unsettling and strange than the last. A ring of hands and a sandbagged watch post. Ten of them, fingers interlaced like a basket, 
the wrists ragged and broken. Two men in a tunnel, skin leathery and thin as mummies, eye sockets staring and empty, mouths locked impossibly wide, while their clothes were mere rags under an oily black scum. The latrine sent even the hardest back gagging and shivering, it was overflowing with excrement and offal. Gobbets of meat bobbed and oozed in the foul sludge, and the whole surface dotted with what looked like thousands of clean, slick eyeballs, nerves and tendons fanned out like goldfish tails. Corporal Lawrence was the first to find the hole. The other men loudly debated the better part of valor and the rapid withdrawal from the nightmare trench. It was small in a section of fresh digging, the start of a new arm of trenches projecting closer to the enemy lines. No more than four feet across, it seemed to be the accidental undercovering of a natural chamber, the empty blackness of it defying investigation. Private Dixon, recovered and blessedly numb from his previous ordeals, saw the corporal prod the edge with his boot, then crouch to peer in, then suddenly slide in head first before the private could so much as utter a shout of question. Now, the private was a good soldier, and he rushed to the perceived distress of his fellow. When questioned later, he could provide little illumination as to what happened over the two minutes Corporal Lawrence spent in the hole. He could see nothing. The light of a torch seemingly gobbled up a few feet into that dense blackness. There were sounds. The rustle of movement over loose stones or rubble. An odd liquid shifting a dry rustle that made him think of the insect husks he'd used to collect in the summer. As he shouted for aid, there was a sudden upwelling of a repulsive stench, like a reptile house gone sour and old, and his fellow soldiers found him retching helplessly beside the hole when they came around the turn. It was as they rushed to Private Dixon's aid that the hand emerged from the hole. They stopped and raised rifle as one body, roaring for the owner of that pale, trembling hand to identify himself. As they watched, another hand joined the first, followed by the pale, shivering head of Corporal Lawrence. He was streaked and smeared with a tarry black ooze, hacking and coughing thinly, as he hauled his body up beside that of the gasping private. As they moved to help the man, the corporal vomited up a heavy stream of the same repulsive slime that coated his body in smears and globs, his curled, shuddering body, voiding more of it into his saturated, foul pants. They were hesitant to touch him finally doing so after the seemingly endless river of grime stopped pouring from him. He was insensible, eyes rolling and wide, 
body as limp as a boned fish. The men quit the trench with all speed. Half dragging the corporal, they ran with no thought to cover or death, only escape. They crossed in record time, falling into their home trench like so much cordwood gasping and shivering. One man, known to have bludgeoned a German to death, with a brick curled on the floor in a sobbing heap. The commanders moved quickly, isolating the men and trying to calm the most lucid for a report and what spilled out would have been immediately dismissed as lies and hallucination, were it not for the earnest, pleading stares of those reporting. Command calmed them with explanations of battle fatigue and strange gas weapon tests, and shared, silent, focused stares as the men were ushered out. Corporal Lawrence had little to report. Of his time in the hole, he could, or would, say very little. He stated that he had slipped and fallen into what may have been some long-blocked underground pool, or perhaps a buried latrine. Of the sounds and smells reported by the private, he had nothing to say, only that he struggled a short time, then managed to get back out as the men arrived. Truly, he seemed none the worse for wear. In fact, he seemed in better spirits than many had remembered ever seeing him, favoring the commanders with a wide, giddy smile as he was dismissed with a warning not to discuss the events. The corporal proved a changed man over the next few days. He was more talkative but quickly had men wishing for his old, unsettling silence. He rambled about the joys of close spaces, of creation and destruction that seemed to spring up all around him. About human pleasures missed, the dimensions and ages of which made some men threaten Corporal Lawrence with a quiet and ignoble death which only seemed to stretch the near-constant smile on his face even wider. Private Dixon, one of the corporal's bunkmates, whispered to a friend that he had woken up once to find the corporal standing over him in the night, his eyes as bright and flat as silver dollars. They found the private the next day, snarled in barbed wire. His intestines spread nearly ten feet around him in every direction. Not one man from that trench survived the Great War, although few died in battle. A wave of sickness took the trench a few days after Private Dixon's death. Strange, wasting sickness. It seemed to eat the flesh like acid. Men waking to find previously healthy flesh eaten down to the bone, oozing and blackened. A sergeant was found in a latrine, beset by a living carpet of rats. They refused to quit the body, even when shot, and attacked several men before the body was recovered. Relief finally came, the bulk of the men being sent to various hospitals, many wasting away before they ever reached a bed. 
Corporal Lawrence was remanded to a French mental ward, transferred after several complaints from the hospital proper when he first was sent. It seemed his behavior hinted at a growing mental imbalance, culminating with an attempted sexual assault of a nurse, which ended with the loss of three fingers from her right hand and the vision in her right eye. The corporal would rant quietly to the other patients, whispers about endless halls, pursuits in the dark, flesh laid out like pages of a book. It was dismissed as so much war fatigue, even as his behavior grew less violent and more unsettling. He vanished several times from the ward, only to appear several hours later, as if nothing had happened. When pressed, he would begin to sing. My Bonnie lies over the sea, in an endless monotone until the doctors left exasperated. Others on the ward clamored to be transferred from the whispering madman. A stale, musty foulness seemed to sit in the air wherever he stayed. An incidence of infection and the strange, consuming sickness that had beset his home trench seemed to follow him like a cloud. Numerous attempts were made to transfer the man, only to be met with bureaucratic confusion. No records were found of the man, no entry papers, commendations or incidents, not even a birth certificate. Through it all, he sat for hours on end, cross-legged on his bed, occasionally humming tunelessly, or rambling off the names of his wardmates between short, bubbling giggles. Corporal Lawrence and 18 men vanished one November night. Between a five-minute nurse rotation at three in the morning, the room reeked of rust, oil, mold, and sweet rot. Thick, Black swaths of crumbling ooze coated the beds and several of the walls, wide patches of it smearing and eating into the floor. Of the men, there was no sign, at first. As they searched, one nurse shifted a bed aside, only to shriek and nearly trip across one of the sunken, reeking depressions on the floor. In a tight, perfect spiral, were what appeared to be hundreds of teeth resting neatly on the floor. After counting, they accounted for a total of all the teeth of every living soul in that ward. But one. The corporal was never found, nor were the men. The incident was swallowed by the constant barrage of horrors from the front, and forgotten with ease. Stories of a cursed trench wandered across the front lines, often squelched for being bad luck. Still, they came. Stories of strange deaths, of disappearing men found days later alive, but broken and twisted beyond comprehension. Stories of a strange, dark figure stalking the bomb-riddled towns of Europe. And this may be the only image of Corporal Lawrence ever recorded, taken several days after his return from the hole in the German trench.